this doctor did a complete study on me and he, after the head to toe checkup, he said, you know, young man, did you got something against somebody? Can you imagine that? Mm. And he said, if you don't work this out, I promise you it's gonna kill you. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. The goal of Along the Way is to identify the moments in life that Jesus really is walking with us and trying to get our attention. But just like the disciples along the way to Emmaus, we are missing those moments that our hearts are burning within us. I want us to be able to identify those moments, learn from others, and apply those lessons to our lives so that we don't miss the blessings that God has for us along the way in our journey. There are people in life that God keeps causing your paths to cross, and you walk together for several seasons in life. My featured guest today is one of those people in my life. I'll never forget the first time I heard Pastor Pete Giacalone preach. It was 2002 and I was 17 on a summer mission trip called Joshua Generation. And this Italian pastor with his baritone voice was teaching us about the father heart of God. He shared his story of growing up in a mafia family, being disowned by his father when he became a Christian, how God became his father, and eventually that relationship was restored. Ever since I first heard parts of that story, I wanted to know more. In this episode, you will learn about the love of the Father that is vital in our lives and how forgiveness is key to unlocking the freedom that God desires for us. By the end of this episode, you will be able to take a step to forgive and you will see freedom as you let God heal the wounds of unforgiveness, just like Pastor Pete. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. All of my episodes and social links are available at my website, alongtheway.media. All of the links from this episode will be in the show notes. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with Pastor Pete Giacalone. All right, well, Pastor Pete Giacalone, it's great to have you on Along the Way. It's been a dream of mine to have you and to share your story on this podcast for quite a while, because our history goes back to my days in YWAM not just as a YWAM staffer, but in 2002, you came and spoke at our summer Joshua Generation program when I was a teenager, and it impacted my life as you were talking about the love of the Father, the Father heart. And I'm so grateful that over the years since then, you've been a consistent speaker in discipleship training schools during my eight years there. And now I get to work with you at Cornerstone Television, where you're a regular on the Hard Questions panel, and it is a privilege and an honor to be able to call you a friend and to be able to share your story on along the way. Well, well John, first of all, thank you. And John, to see you grow since 2002, the days of youth with a mission, and John, to see the responsibilities that you have taken on, absolutely amazing. So I feel the same way. It's an honor for me. I know I'm much older than you, but it's an honor for me to fellowship with you, to, to share yeah. the goodness of the Lord. And we're both Italian, so yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah. always a good thing, you know. But, uh, you know, speaking of that Italian heritage, you know, something that, you know, I get People will sometimes say, oh, was your family part of the mafia? Well, I'm like, well, they might have had some connection in Pittsburgh, but your family goes a little bit deeper with that. And I really want to hear your story. You know, I've heard bits and pieces of it as you've told it throughout the years, but I really want to be able to hear your story of growing up in that family and then how you met the Lord. Okay. Well, John, what happened was 
When I was a boy growing up in Detroit, that was a word that was never mentioned at the dinner table. If you mentioned the word mafia, you literally got slapped. My grandfather went 6'2", and he, he was a massive human being. I had a grandfather that I knew nothing of, nothing of whatsoever. And his last name was John Gianola, Gianola. And in those days, uh, they ran and controlled in the early 30s, in the days of Capone. That's when the families were, you know, trying to take over. So this was the St. Louis area. Mm -hmm. And but nobody. I mean, I would ask about Mike because everywhere we went, family members would say, oh, he reminds us of John. And I thought, who in the world is John? I don't even know who John is. And as a kid, that raised my curiosity. Sure. You got a family member you know nothing about, but people say I remind them of them. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was one particular year, I had an uncle from St. Louis, an uncle Vince, and I thought he was just coming to visit. And that's all I thought. He was coming to visit us. I didn't find out again at that time. I was maybe 12 years old. And I didn't find out till years later he's being subpoenaed and he was running from a subpoena and stayed with us for a while. And I, I knew nothing about that. But that's a whole that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but we were at dinner because, again, we all family dinner was a must. Right. You had you had to be there around the dining room table. Family dinner. That's just the way it was, was that every day or was it like a weekly um, thing? That was specifically on Sundays. But every day, mom, th there was no boarding house, you know, kitchen, <laughs> you know, you, when it was dinner time, it was dinner time. Um, a good Italian proverb is food waits for no one. There that's, you, that's something in my that, family. Yeah. That, believe me, that's a good one. But anyways, I was sitting there at the dining room table, my grandma, who was married to this gentleman. And this was her big brother who came to visit my uncle Vince and my uncle Vince ran with my grandfather who I knew nothing about. And I just thought it was a prime opportunity because nobody, uh, nobody else was saying anything uh -huh. in those days. And I said, Uncle Vince, tell me about my grandfather. And dead silence. And then they pulled the old Italian bit. You know, they, they started talking back and forth in Italian. My Uncle Vince was a big guy. And I'll never forget Uncle Vince turned to my grandmother and said, Anna, he's going to find out sooner or later. Mm. Better he hears it from us, you know. So, so my uncle Vince told me the whole family history The you know, a, a lot of stuff I really didn't want to know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so in those days, uh, there was, they were buying for power, you know, and doing everything for power. The way it was related to me, they, grandfather, his brother, and another gentleman, they ran St. Louis for a season. I, how long? I don't think it was decades it was for season and uh, they were known john they all had gang names in those days and excuse me in those days they were known as the green the green ones the green ones why the green ones i don't know but my grandmother remember this was the days during the bootlegging mm -hmm. and during prohibition and all that correct. stuff yeah so they're smuggling alcohol. That's, you know alcohol was really really they made their literally their fortune on it I have aunts and uncles that told me that during the, uh, that time, during the Depression, um, my grandfather would just hand them a $20 bill. Well, a $20 bill during the, you know, during the Depression was a whole lot of money. It was my grandmother, the way my grandmother explains it, 
it would, you know, movies and stuff like that, like to glamorize it, Mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't glamorizing to her. Right. The stress, the, um, oppressiveness. So, and I think that was a reason why they never really thought it was important for me. But again, being a kid, I wanted to ask, I asked mm-hmm. question. Matter of fact, the ring I have on was my grandfather's. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful, it looks like a brass knuckle diamond ring. That was my grandfather's. And again, I never thought I would get it because first of all, in that kind of environment and being raised a certain denomination as mm-hmm. most Italians are, my life started out and I'll bring him back and forth as, as a boy, five years old, I was, you know, I wasn't hooked on cigars, but I was smoking cigar. Everybody in our family smoked hmm. and, and it started out as a five-year-old as, as a five-year-old. Five-year-old. Yeah. I was, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I'll never forget it. I, uh, John, one time I, I, I stole two, four cigars from my grandfather's room. And I also took, uh, his lighter, that's what got me busted, was the lighter. <laughs> the lighter. <laughs> if I would have just gone go with matches, I would have been okay. So, uh, and I met up with a buddy of mine, Joey Cartuccio. All right. Uh-huh. Petey Giacalone, Joey Cartuccio. Can you put it together? <laughs> yeah. So, and in my neighborhood there in Eastside Detroit, you didn't have to worry about mom and dad busting you if, if your neighbors saw you doing something wrong. It was nothing for a neighbor to stop a car and come over and smack you upside the head. <laughs> So me and Joey talk about neighborhood watch right there. Yeah. yeah. Me and Joey were in his dad's garage. His dad was a contractor and smoking these cigars. Now Joey was four. I was five. (laughs) I'm I'm picturing this right now. That's quite the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I smoked mine and Joey was having a rough time with his. So by the time I got home, somebody squealed inevitably. Somebody saw us, you know, five-year-old smoking cigars. So I'm coming in the back door of the house there, and there's a big argument going on between my dad and my grandfather. Now, my dad went 5'11", 250. My grandfather went 6'2". So these guys weren't small guys, and they were arguing. As I came in the door, I heard my dad say, I heard my grandfather saying, that bum stole my cigars, meaning me. And my dad said, I could still remember, my dad said, he's only five. He's only five. So I come in the house, I thought, that's my alibi. <laughs> so I come into the room there, and there they are arguing. My father says to me, Petey, do you take Grandpa's cigars? I said, Pop, I'm only five, you know. So you weren't lying. <laughs> I was I'm only five, you know. But the thing was, um, I got away with it until my mom. See, I could lie to Dad, Grandpa, no sweat. But you lie to a Sicilian mom? That's not going to work. She's uh-huh. a no going to work. Believe yeah. me. So mom came in. She goes, hey, you, in those days, you know, you were either called a bum or a hoodlum, you know. Hey, you bum, look me in the eyes and tell me you didn't take those cigars. And I, I turned to her and said, mom, I took them. You know, I, I, you know, I, mom will kill you. I mean, that was it. I mean. When mom lost it, that, that, yeah, I loved my mom, don't get me wrong, but mom grew up in a very tough home. And, you know, sure, her f- father was part of the controlling family of St. Louis back in the 30s. So I confessed up and, and uh, someone else came in the room and said, uh, make him smoke one in front of us right now. And me being like a dummy said, I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, so my day started that way as far as drifting. Okay. By the time I was in eighth grade, I was drinking, I was in trouble r- running with the wrong people. Um, 
And it seemed like wherever trouble was, I was, you know what I mean? Or wherever I was, trouble was. So your family had connections with the mob in, or with the mafia in St. Louis. Right, right. Was there also a connection in Detroit where you were as well? Or did they? No, no, no. Um, It was basically St. Louis area, the St. Louis. Now, from what I understand, again, a lot of it is, is, um, from what I understand, John, in those days, they were running the bootlegging to a place called Wyandotte, Michigan, from St. Louis, Canada, and all through there. But again, that's, you know, you hear it from one uncle and another uncle and stuff like that. So in, the, in those days, um, uh, they did a, a, they had a massive fortune mm-hmm. at that particular time. Um, but what happened was my grandfather was dying. Matter of fact, he died. His brother, my I guess my uncle Vito, which would have been my great uncle, they literally took him out. You know what I mean? My grandfather was dying of diabetes. In those days, the diabetes in the early thirties was a, it was a death wish, you know, and, and plus he wasn't giving up his spaghetti. He was, you know, and he, and he, he really died of diabetes, really natural causes. Was that a euphemism or he really wouldn't give up actual eating spaghetti? Exactly. He would not give up eating spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he ate himself. You know, that's what I remember. Yeah. That. Yeah. There was a fortune out there someplace. Grandma never got it. <laughs> she never found it, never got it. So the day that he died, my grandmother and, and mother literally went from a vast amount of money to literally nothing overnight, literally wow. nothing. But my grandmother, she she told about, you know, when I was a boy, she would tell me stories. Mm-hmm. Most kids would learn about Alice in Wonderland and cowboys and Indians. Uh, grandma would say, Petey, there was this guy. <laughs> there was never a name. There was this guy. Uh, she used to say stories that when they'd all come over to the house, and, and they had money. When they all came over to the house, uh, no one was allowed to sit at the table with guns. So everyone who came, and my grandmother said, oh, Petey, you should have seen it. They all had to hang up their guns. They they all, you know, there was pearl-handled guns. And she went into all the, you know, ornateness of these guns. But I guess my grandfather wouldn't allow anybody to sit at the table in case somebody lost their temper. <laughs> or didn't like the spaghetti. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, John, at that time, it was just my grandmother, my mom. My mom was maybe 12 years old. In those days, they had, after the prohibition was lifted, they had several taverns, and and she remembers guys coming in, and she thought they were musicians mm-hmm. <laughs> with these violin cases, you know. Yeah. So that part was, you know, true in those days. And But at, like I said, after he died, there was nothing left for them. And in those days, they kept the Italians with the Italians, the Poles with the Poles. And at that time, my father's father... My, my father's mother died. Mm. So my father's father, my grandfather, on my father's side, was a widower. My grandmother, from St. Louis, was a widow. Okay. And some way, somehow, they started pinpalling it. So my father's dad married my mom's mom. So okay. really, my dad and mom are stepbrother and stepsister. 
Interesting. Okay. Oh yeah. And and I remember as a boy there in, in St. Clair Shores when I used to put my family trees together. The, you know, I went to Catholic schooling all my life. Uh-huh. Nuns would say, Hey, no, 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 this this looks like this is and, and they would call the house is is Petey confused? Was he hitting the head too many times? My mom would say, No, this my husband and I are step. There's no blood involved. Right, right. Step brother and sister. So at that time my dad was 14, my mom was 12. Okay. So it was a blended family in those days. And so my mom, and again, in those days, uh, they, can you imagine never wanting for money? Mm-hmm. Never wanting. Especially during that time. Yeah. Ne- Matter of fact, uh, I hear many stories. And again, I have to say stories because again, right. I can't fact check. I can't uh-huh. prove, but he used to get a new car every six months during the depression. Uh, whatever car my mom picked out, cause that's all my grandfather had was a daughter. So whatever car she would pick out every six months, they got a new car. Rumor was one uncle told me that he was having a bulletproof car made in those days, but whether it was true or, you know, you know, you hear all kinds of stuff in those. Yeah. So it was a, a tough family. You know, it was a, I'm not going to say typical Sicilian because I don't think every typical Sicilian family was like our, our, our Sicilian family was a type of family. Hey, what are you nuts? You know, that kind of family, you know, and, I love the family I was raised in, but now fast forward, smoking at five, drinking by the time I'm in eighth grade, right. trouble by the time I'm 17. I, I never did drugs. Hmm. Drugs was just not part of my life. Cheap Boone's Farm apple wine and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was making some serious soul searching decisions in my lifetime. You know, that, that, that road at this time, there was no Jesus on that road, at least no seen visible Jesus. Yeah. There was always Jesus in the background. You know what I mean? Right. The unhand of God at that time. But, um, John, but I had no peace. I was at, at that time I was at all boy private Catholic high school. It was Austin Catholic prep. And it was, it was a good school. I mean, you got a great education there, but again, soul searching, no peace, you know, drinking Friday nights, you know, mm-hmm. so sad, you know, 17 year old can't cope with life. Something wrong with this picture. Yeah. You know yeah. Um, Something was wrong with me was the problem. And this was in the height of the Jesus movement. So we're talking late 60s, early 70s? Exactly. Okay. 1971. And that Jesus movement, John, was hitting all over the world. I mean, uh, all over, not just the States. Excuse me. And at the exact same time, John, the charismatic movement was hitting. So you had your Jesus movement. You had your charismatic movement hitting Notre Dame University. In a, okay, so the Catholic Charismatic Movement is what you're talking about, right? That, okay. that was that was also simultaneously right, right, right. going okay. on as the Jesus Movement was going on. The Jesus Freaks they were known mm-hmm. as. Mm-hmm. So you had the movement that was taking place in Notre Dame, and a great big movement, Charismatic Movement, taking place right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Duquesne, yeah, yeah Duquesne, and of course Russ Bixler was. Heavily involved in that. Yeah, the founder of Cornerstone Television, yeah. Correct, correct. And so all of this is going on. I'm doing some soul searching. I have no peace. And at that particular time, I met this individual, and she was genuine. She truly loved Jesus. Oh, my gosh. And her mom was a solid, born-again believer. Again, I was 17, and we started dating but the mother told me, she says, Pete, I did not raise my daughter to be a believer for you to come along. Her mom 
read me like a book. Her mom, <laughs> her mom knew I was no good. Yeah. I, I did. Bottom line. I mean, she read, I wasn't, I wasn't no good at all. I wouldn't have let me date me <laughs> or let me date, you know, right. my daughter or somebody or anybody else's daughter. And she said, listen, if you're going to date my daughter, you're going to be in church. We're in church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And this was not a Catholic church. No, it was a Pentecostal church in Michigan. It was Southfield Assembly of God Church in Southfield, Michigan. And uh, Norm Muling was the pastor in those days. I'm going back again, Mm -hmm. 70s, probably about 71. Yeah, about 71. And I just watched these people, John. I saw a peace. I saw a joy. Everything I wanted, they had. And then what happened was um, my family was getting upset with me. A couple of the priests at school said, Petey, be careful. Don't hang around these Pentecostals. They're, they're bad news. My dad didn't like me hanging around Pentecostals. And I found out later the reason why, because many years later, my uncle turned to my, I went for a walk with my uncle, my dad's brother. And he said, do you know why your dad's so upset with you being one of those born againers? I said, no, what is it? He goes, uh, your dad used to throw rocks at the revival preachers downtown Detroit when, when they'd be preaching on the corner. And now you've become one of those fanatical Pentecostals. So, uh-huh. so John, take it. I've got a large family in Detroit. I mean, large. I have two godfathers, a godfather in Detroit, a godfather in St. Louis. Very large family in St. Louis. That, that name is Digger Spino. Very, very large family in St. Louis. Very large family in Detroit cousins and oh my gosh so i get saved tell me about that yeah tell me about you getting saved and let's i want to hear what actually clicked for you finally well what happened was i i I finally realized i I went to church for six months and one night there was they had in those days john what was known as rap sessions you know, and guys from all over, guys from the Hell's Angels and guys right out of prison. It was really something. Again, this was 70s, early 70s. And uh, I was at a rap session where people just talked about the Lord. And this uh, one pastor came up to me and zeroed in on me and told me that I needed Jesus, you know, and, and explained it to me. But John, at that time, for the first time in my life, See, every th- before then, every time something went wrong with me or in my life, someone would say, see, Jesus is punishing you. Mm. So I saw a Jesus of punishing. I never in my life to that point heard Jesus loves you. Never heard that. So everyone was telling me, don't hang around these people. They're Looney Tunes. Don't hang out. You know. So what happened, John, was um, one night I got saved. Uh, it was at on a Thursday night rap session. This preacher told me about the love of God. And John, that, that was the missing. That's what was missing in my life and my heart. So the very moment I said, Jesus, come into my heart. Oh, my gosh. The instant peace. John, I mean a peace like you would not believe that flooded my heart and soul. Was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. I couldn't explain it. And immediately, John, uh, my life radically, immediately, never drank again, Mm. never smoked again. I mean, it was immediate. And a lot of my family thought it was because of the girl Mm -hmm. that I was dating. You know what I mean? They they blamed it all on her. They blamed it on her that you stopped 
yeah. drinking and smoking and living a, a hoodlum life. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the funny thing was, um, I wasn't really that funny. My family disowned me. My, my dad was so upset with me. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'll never, because my dad and I were pretty close. Mm-hmm. I was his only son and, and dad had money. My dad did good in life. And, sent me to an all-boy private Catholic high school. And in my junior year, he told me, he said, Pete, any college you want to go to, I'll pay for it. Any college in the world, I'll pay for it. He just, my dad was, was pretty brilliant. And mm-hmm. it's really sad he never had a chance, but he wanted me to go to college. That was his passion. Um, and then when I got saved, I'll never forget it. Dad got so mad at me. And again, all boy private Catholic high school. We didn't graduate cap and gown. Mm-hmm. We were white tuxedo, black bow tie. Yeah, it was it was a it was a very very big school. You're not yeah. big number wise, but big to do. Yeah, big to do. Correct. Um, and that night he turned to me and goes, well, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Well, Dad, I'm going to be a, a preacher, a pastor." And uh, John, I'll never forget it. He said, uh, "Well." He said, you're on your own. He goes, I'm not paying for you to be no Pentecostal preacher. Yeah. And then I wasn't allowed to hang around my cousins. My family, literally my family in Detroit were like, Petey's gone off the deep end. Family in St. Louis, I was cussed out by ants. You know, how no good I was because when I got saved, I left the church of our family. Okay. Uh, and went into the Assemblies of God. And boy, I tell you what, from a long line of nothing but Sicilian Catholics and for me to, to walk away from that, I insulted all of them. Every, right. Not on purpose. My right, life, right, right. You know, my life was changed. And this is tradition. This is family. This yeah. is what you do. You, you, yeah. you honor. Yeah. Right. Even though most of them didn't know what they believed. Exactly. Yeah. And my one uncle even told me, I don't know what I believe, but you don't leave it. <laughs> I'll never forget that conversation. So... John, as time was going on, my dad and I, after that, grew further and further apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went off to school. I worked. So did you have to leave the house? No, I was, allowed to, I was allowed to stay home. I was allowed to live in the house, but dad wasn't paying for any education that moment further. So I worked in a car factory in those days called the River Rouge, which is a Ford plant, largest plant in the world. I worked on the assembly line. Wherever I could find work, I worked, saved my money, went off to college. And about four years later, I graduated from Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, uh, John, for a while there, it was a lonely because the young lady that led me to the Lord, we broke up. Mm. So, and I leaned much on that family church. I leaned much on her and her mom who were super, and her sister, who were super, super supportive to me. Right, right. And uh, all three of them will always have a, a very, very special place in my life because uh, they were there. And to, during the years of Petey's extremely rough edges, you know, where the, even though I got saved, even though my drinking stopped, and there were still other edges that needed to be worked on in my, you know, sanctification. Um so now I'm by myself, literally, yeah. literally, uh, nobody in my corner, literally nobody rooting for me, dad, you know, family 
Detroit disowned me, family, St. Louis disowning me. I went to family functions, but they were all watching me like a hawk because right. they didn't want their children to turn out like me. You know, they didn't want anybody to catch what you had. Right. Yeah. yeah well, you're talking about social distancing. Uh-huh. There, there was social distancing, but you know what? For years, I just worked through that. I cried myself to sleep a lot in those days. And seriously, believe it or not, I, because here you are, you know, you know, so doesn't anybody love me? I knew Jesus loved me. Don't get right. me wrong. And, you know, I remember my first day at Bible college, you know, here's all the guys are there and the guys and the girls, and their moms and dads are there dropping them off. It's huggy, huggy, kissy, kissy. I'm standing there alone like, yeah. And then the family, my family thought, well, this is the test because now literally nobody's in their li- his life he won't last. But John, at that time, not only did the peace of God just begin to take over my life, but I fell in love with the Word of God. Mm. And then verses that were seeing me through my daily struggles, chapters. And I mean, I really fell in love with the Lord. A lot of sanctification to take place. A lot of, you know, just like anybody's life. But the peace... And the assurance that the word brought. Uh And then, of course, when I had my baptism experience in the Holy Spirit, John, that revolutionized my life also. So those three keys in my life, the, the, the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the power of the word, and the power of my daily prayer life. Because, like, again, I, I didn't have a, a massive resource that I could lean on to see me through. Yeah, you didn't have the family support or anything no, like that. None whatsoever. But I met some great friends at Bible college, super professors. Oh, my gosh. These, these men and women were great, great men and women of God. And a couple of them kind of like took me under their wing. I mean, now, they weren't putting up with nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, but they took me under their wing and uh, demanded excellence. And at that time, there was a pastor praying for me, the man who led me to the Lord, Norman Muling, which changed my life. Oh, my gosh. And we would call from time to time. And he he really played a big part in my life. So uh, coming, you know, at that time, because at that freshman year, after my freshman year, the young lady that led me to the Lord uh, or had a big part, a huge part, we broke up. And um, it was... uh, mind-boggling for me. Mm. I really mean that. And I didn't date probably, I bet you, a solid couple years. Wow. I just went back to school. I was there for one one intent. I was there to uh, get a Bible education, ran a lot. I, I loved running in those days. Of course, I was much, much thinner than, <laughs> much thinner. And uh, I ran literally mileage every day, mm. every day. I literally lived for running and studies. That was my whole life, running and studies. And you're putting yourself through school. Yeah. So running being a cheap hobby uh, is yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a good pair of tennis shoes. And yeah. Those tennis shoes had a metal coming out. So, <laughs> But again, John, that, and I would recommend this to anybody, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ you know, when, you know, you're, again, no support, family support whatsoever. But I still loved my dad. I mean, my love for him never, never 
failed. I remember one particular time, one Sunday morning, I was getting up to go to church. I didn't have cars, you know, dad had a couple and I was going to get the keys to the car and he goes, you're not going anywhere today. I said, Dad, I'm, it's Sunday. I'm going to church. No, you're not going to church. And he got so mad at me, he grabbed me by the throat. And he cocked, he grabbed me by the throat by his left hand and cocked his right hand back. And I thought, uh-oh. And without thinking, I grabbed him. And I'm glad my mom jumped in the middle because I really believe it would have been all over for me. You know, Dad was so angry. So end of my sophomore year, going to my junior year, I met this young lady here from Pittsburgh, Bethel Park. And uh, we were just good friends. Uh We didn't date for six months. We worked, uh, in those days I was working while at college, helping out in a small farming church in Rogersville, Missouri. Faith Assembly of God, Rogersville. And oh my goodness, it was uh, all dairy farmers. Can you imagine this? An Italian boy grows up, St. Clair Shores, Michigan, goes off to the Queen City of the Ozark Mountains and attends church in Rogersville, you know, Missouri. Uh, you talk about God having a sense of humor. But these were all dairy farmers. They, oh, they were the most precious people you'd ever meet on God's earth. I mean, the kindest, gracious. We, we visited people that literally did not have indoor plumbing. Mm. None at all. And what year is this? At this point, it was 1974. Wow. No indoor plumbing in 74? No, no indoor plumbing. They lived in the back hollers there, and but they were an amazing, never complaining people, just a, a hardworking people. Not all of them. I'm just saying a few yeah, of the yeah. families. So um, Elaine and I were working there at this church, and we were just good friends. Literally just, I wasn't looking to date. And before you know it, that friendship turned into something closer than a friendship. We, and the funny thing is, we'd had lunch together every day in the chap. I mean, in the cafeteria, dinner every night at the cafeteria, at school. And the moment we started dating, we couldn't eat in front of each other anymore. Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? <laughs> For six months, we, you know, clowning around at the table, just you know. And now all of a sudden, we can't eat. Was that a role of the, at the school or something, or Was what? It- that you couldn't eat with each other? Oh, no, no. No, we couldn't eat with each other with the fact that um, that we couldn't eat in front of each other. We were all, you know, uh, super, what's the word? Flustered? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, now, it's not, now it's not just a good friend. Now it's, you know, trying to impress each other. You know? it's like, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture? We got over that in a hurry, believe me, because we both like to eat. Uh-huh. And then, John, you're talking about a war. Now, again, the family's upset with me. Mm-hmm. I'm off to a Pentecostal school. My father's mad. My grandfather's mad. Aunts and uncles are mad. I'm insulting the family, all right? I come home, and the girl, and now we're engaged. The girl I come home with is blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, all right? In the all Sicilian family. Uh-huh. That ain't going to work, you know? Uh because my grandfather used to, you know, like kind of do the arranging of weddings and stuff okay. like that. My okay. grandfather, my dad's side, you know, my, and uh, oh my gosh, to come home with her. And again, remember, he went 6'2". And uh, and you're how tall? tall? Oh, I'm maybe 5'6". Okay, um, yeah. so there's a big high um, difference there. Yeah, yeah. And grandpa turns to me, he goes, uh, right in front of her, he says, Kie, Kie, Kistu. In other words, who, who is this girl? I said, well, Pa, this is a girl I'm going to marry. Oh, man, he went through the roof. He, he looked at her right in front of her, you know, because he was uh, broken English, came from the boat. And I don't make fun of that. I have deep love and respect. But that's just the way he was. Uh-huh. 
And that's the way it was in those days. You know, the Italians stayed with the Italians, you know. Right. And um, I said, Papa, I love her. And I could still hear, oh, my gosh, she went through the roof. Uh, what do you mean, love? You know, so so now I got another war, you know, uh-huh. a war because I got saved. Now another war because I'm bringing home a gal that's that's not even no Italian blood in her whatsoever. You know, so but um, Grandpa kind of accepted her before he passed on. Like and I use the word kind of uh-huh. you know, it was rough for him. It was really hard. So we graduate from Bible college, Elaine and I. And were asked to take on a church in Pittsburgh Northside, State and Marshall, State and, and State and Avenue. Okay. Uh, in the Northside, State and Marshall Avenue, matter of fact, in the Northside, and uh, Bethel Assembly of God Church, Northside. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Clay Sheridan was a senior pastor, and uh, man, things were really, really going great. You know, and my first associate pastorship and. There were some things taking place. Now, again, we have this rejection of mom, dad, still the, you know, the, right, right. Uh, but my dad and I are kind of getting closer together, but. How so? Well, we still kind of talked every Thursday night. I would call him no matter where I was in the world. I always called him on Thursday night and, you know, conversations weren't long, but there were dad, you know. So you just kept that conversation. Oh, open. I was. Yeah. I still loved my dad. Remember, yeah. it was not me not loving him. It was him having a rough time with me. Mm. You know, he just just couldn't understand. I I kind of insulted him, right? You know, because here he all my life life he paid for Catholic education, you know, Catholic private schooling, and I go and become a minister. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, my father saw that as a complete insult. Yeah, it, extremely insulting. And then what happened was, uh, I uh, with the stress of the church because I had an open ended portfolio. So that meant whatever needed to be added could be added because mm. I signed on to that. And there were some things that took place. It, it's it's very long and involving things that took place. A man there at the church that uh, I got into a real estate transaction. I bought a half duplex mm-hmm. and uh, it went sour. I called my dad and Really, I called my grandmother to borrow. Now, I was debt-free. I, I believe that. I graduated from debt-free, wow. and, and uh, I owned the, the car. And uh, so, in other words, I had no debt, So, which my credit was excellent, mm-hmm. even though I was only 22 years old. Now, I'm buying a house at 22 years old, uh, but I needed a down payment. I had no savings, right, right. but I could afford a home because of no debt. I called my grandmother. Yeah, Grandma loved me. I I knew I'd get the <laughs> down payment. Grandma said, no, because my dad said nobody gave him any money. She said, Peter, you got to talk to your dad. So mm-hmm. I, I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll loan you the money. I'll give you the money. I said, well, Dad, I just want to borrow it. I'll, I'll make payments. Uh, and um, what happened was my mom got on the phone. She goes, let your dad fly down there and close this deal for you. You've never done this before. And I, and I thought, Mom, come on, this is somebody from the church. Well, he made a quick 10 on me. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't find this out till later. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty involving. All right. But what happens when I found out, John, all of my, oh, what's the word? My old nature came back. Mm. I was angry. Because I'll, I'll never forget, I said, Mom, Dad, you can trust this guy. He attends our church. and and But he made a quick 
And $10,000 in those days was a year's wage. One wow. year's wage in 1977. That was a whole year's wage. 200 a week. If you're making 200 a week in those days, you're making good money. Well, he got me. Then I felt, now I really felt bad. Uh-huh. So stress of everything that's going on, now I'm having heart palpitations. Now, John, here's a guy that ran right. all his life that never had heart trouble at all. Now I got help, heart palpitations, rapid heartbeat. Now I go to a specialist to get my heart checked. And I'll never forget this specialist, the uh, cardiologist. He, he, this doctor did a complete study on me. And he, after the head-to-toe checkup, he said, you know, young man, I was putting my shirt back on. He said, you know, young man, he said, you got something against somebody. Can you imagine that? Hmm. And he said, if you don't work this out, I promise you it's going to kill you. Wow. His exact words. Was he a Christian? To this day, I don't know. Hmm. I was just listening to what he had to say. You got something against somebody, and you better clear it up. At that time, John, I had a, a, a supply of Valium. I was taking Valium every day. Every day. Oh, wow. And I did not know that it was addictive. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, now I'm hooked on these suckers. And... Um, I was in four emergency wards with uh, rapid heartbeat and stuff like that, and uh, that that went along with that. Are and, you married at this time? Oh, yeah, Lee and I are okay. married. We have our first child. Okay. Our first child was born, and some way, somehow, John, I don't know to this day. I don't know how my father found out. Now here we are, Pittsburgh, Detroit. That's a three hundred mile drive. Mm-hmm. Some way, somehow, to this day, I don't know. He never told me. He found out. And one day the doorbell rings and I go to the door to answer it. There's my dad, my mom, my grandmother. My grandfather passed away by Mm -hmm. then uh, at the door. I said, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And uh, he came into the house and we talked. And, of course, they stayed for several days. And my dad, you know, he was a World War II vet. Okay. Fought for Patton, Battle of the Bulge, the whole bit. Really? He saw he served under Patton? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And um, he walked in the house and in his loving way said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I said, Dad, I'm okay. He goes, no, 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 you're sick. What's wrong with you? That's how, that's how he entered the house. And, you know, 5'10", 200-plus pounds, and, or 5'11". And um, I put my hand on his shoulder that night when he came. I said, Dad, come on, no arguing tonight. We're not arguing. And we sat at the table, and I said, Dad, you know, I'm really proud to be your son. And I told him how much I loved him. And in my lifetime, John, I saw my dad cry two times the day my grandfather died. And uh, that night, he, 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 he really teared up. Mm. And I said, Dad, heaven won't be heaven without you. And he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior that night. He knew what he was doing because wow. we had enough arguments over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and my mom accepted Christ and my grandmother. All that same night? Same night, every one of them. Wow. And um, the following day, we're on the back porch, and he wanted to know why I was so upset, what was my problem. And I told him about, I said, Dad, you know, I got taken, and I feel, I feel bad to you because you loaned me the money, and, and I'll never forget it. You know, we were making payments. It wasn't a matter of that. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. He leaned over to me. You know, I, I borrowed a good chunk of change from him, 
for the down payment of this place. Mm-hmm. He leaned over on as long as I live, I could still see him looking right in the eyes. He says, Petey, it's only money. Hmm. It's only money. He said, son, you're more important to me than money. And I'll never forget that. Of course, I, I really began to cry. He goes, Petey, forget about it. It's all, I, I can still hear him. It's only money. We could fix this. It's only money. And um, John, after they left and went home, I had another encounter with the Holy Spirit that I knew I had to get this cleared up. Yeah. I knew I did. And I stayed up one night. I gave all the pills to Elaine. I said, honey, no matter what happens, flush them. Mm. Flush them down the toilet. I'm not taking another pill. And I stayed up that whole night praying, crying out to God, knowing I had to forgive. The the issue was me. Mm Mm-hmm. I had to let this person go. And were they still going to the church at no, that time? No, no. What happened was I wasn't the only one. They they had a lot of other deals. They they loaded up and moved to another state. You know what yeah, I mean? Okay. So they made a quick 10 on me. They made money on others and split to Las Vegas. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. Um, so they knew what they were doing. It just wasn't a deal that went south. It was yeah. It was Oh, no, no. Yeah. they Because okay. they were going to strike it rich. What happened was I, I, I knew I had to forgive them. I haven't seen the the people, but that day I said, Lord, I forgive him. I let him go. And then I heard later, John, that they lost everything. Mm. Whether that's true or not, I just heard that through. And you know what? I didn't rejoice over that. I wasn't, you know, I was sad for them. Yeah. But my dad was saved now. Mm. And it it was a whole new chapter. So how did your relationship with him change? Oh, John, immediate transformation. I would go home and... Uh, we we would, he would come to church with me, and when he came to visit me, at now I was associate pastor. I, I left the north side, came to South Hills Assembly God Church in Bethel Park, where I'm now pastoring, which is another amazing story. Uh, I was here at South Hills 44 years ago, or yeah, 40. I'm sorry, 42 years ago, uh-huh. and now we're back. Uh, as lead pastor. You've planted a church and you've been a traveling evangelist yeah. and planted another church and been a traveling evangelist. And then God brings you back here. It's, it's quite a journey. For it, sure. it is. It's been an amazing journey. It's been nothing but God, nothing yeah. but God. But when my dad would come visit me, the church that we started, Elaine and I started, I was maybe 26 and we didn't start at South Hills really mothered us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it exploded. The church, Walnut Grove Assembly, it just exploded. And we were excited about that. And when my dad would come visit, I would say, Dad, bring an extra suit because I'm making hospital visits this week and you're going with me. Mm. And, and it was really neat. I mean, then our whole, all we would talk about, the word, our love for each other. Matter of fact, a couple of the men went to the Assembly God Church in St. Clair Shores there. I knew my dad and they said, Pete, what happened to your dad? He's radically changed, mm. and he did. He, he, there was a radical change in his life. And so when he'd come to visit, when I was lead pastor at uh, Walnut Grove, he'd bring an extra suit. We'd go make hospital visits together. Then we'd go out to lunch. Uh-huh. Of course, he bought. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then, John, his passion for giving was amazing. Mm. Anytime there was a special need, I, I would call him up, Dad, and I'm not saying, he didn't give hundreds, he gave thousands. Mm. Anytime there was a special need, I could always count on him 
to help others. And he would get mad. He goes, I want a gift to you. No, no, Dad, that's unethical. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm getting a salary. Don't worry about that. I'm okay. But here's a mission. And here's yeah. another, you know, I want the monies to go towards, you know, missionaries. And he was always obedient, always quick to give. Oh, my gosh. We opened up a... A crisis pregnancy center in those days, I think he single-handedly supported it. Mm. He was just a, a great, great giver. He loved giving to good causes. Yeah. So I remember you talking in my many years ago, right. you talking about the father heart of God. Yeah. You just laid out this story of how your relationship with your father was estranged, right. but you were still trying to be connected. And then you finally get to a point where your dad does receive the Lord and starts living for Jesus. What is it about the father heart of God that you connect with? That is the quintessential message that you've shared so many different times. I just want to kind of encapsulate that. Well, John, you know, when I think of the father heart of God and that's, I love teaching that. I still teach it twice a year for youth with a mission here in Pittsburgh. Here I was all by myself. I knew Jesus as Lord and savior. But when I really came to know God as my father, and now there's a, an eliminating of a father. Mm-hmm. There's a gap there. I need the father image. And John, when I fell in love with Matthew chapter 6, where it talks about your heavenly father knows your needs before you even ask. That was easy for me to fall in love with because, you know, my father, before he disowned me, I never worried about my needs. My needs were always met, mm-hmm. always met. And when I fell in love with God, now again, now you have to remember, in coming to Christ, I lost everything. Right. Not because of alcohol, not because of drugs. I lost everything just because I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And a new father came into my life mm-hmm. by God the Father, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and John, I never knew where my needs were coming from. But my needs were always met, as always met, from car to clothes. See, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And in that, it also says, Take no thought, for your heavenly Father knows your needs before you even ask. And John, here I am, I'm, now I'm 67 years old, I started at 17, I literally lost everything. But you know what, I can truthfully, there was a lot of rough times, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of anxiousness, a lot of anxiety, all of that, a lot of rejection. Oh my gosh, rejection. I, I'm glad that I was able to maintain my mind. Yeah. You know, because here, here's the, my aunts and uncles, I was the life of the party. Petey, oh my gosh, oh my, I was literally, the as a kid, I was, I was a happy-go-lucky, you know, little fat Italian <laughs> kid, you know, because I, I was overweight. As a matter of fact, as a kid, I used to have to go to the doctors every month because I was so overweight. Oh, John, I was, uh, they had to take my blood pressure. I was on, oh, certain kinds of pills because they were very fearful of, because of how, I was obese. Your blood type was ragu. Oh, my gosh. My blood type was ragu. Yeah, yeah. So I knew all that. I knew all of that rejection. Um, But when I really came to know, and it was enforced with the word, John. 
Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at that in Matthew's account, chapter 6, you see that reoccurring theme, your heavenly Father knows. Mm-hmm. Your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father. So I, I came to, I, God is not just God. He's my Father. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I know him as my Father. And when, 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 and that's the thing I really, when I do these classes with youth with a mission, if I can get the kids there, mm-hmm. many of them have great fathers, but if I can get the kids there to really come to know him as Papa, mm-hmm. Abba Father, the rest is a, a shoo-in. Mm-hmm. When, when it's solidified, God is your heavenly Father. Yeah. Uh, oh, John, well, you were in that class, and you know that when you really come to know him, and it takes work, it takes getting time out with God and and putting the scriptures, not putting the scriptures as a test, but taking your test mm-hmm. of life and conquering it with the scriptures. Because right. to me, the scriptures are proven. Yeah. You, know what I mean? you just said that you're 67 years old. Yeah. You started your walk with the Lord when you were 17. So that's 50 years yeah. that you've been walking with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. But Jesus has been walking with you a lot longer than that. Oh, yeah. And the uh, you know the quintessential question that I always like to ask here is, you know, based around the Emmaus Road story yeah. of how the disciples were walking with Jesus, but they just didn't realize it until they sit down at the table. Jesus blesses the food and breaks the bread. Their eyes are open for a moment, and then poof, he disappears. They turn to each other and say, weren't our hearts burning within us along the way as he was revealing the scriptures to us? Pete, as you look back at your life, where do you now see that Jesus was walking with you, but you didn't see it in that moment? My mom, I was in the fourth grade, and uh, my dad tried to keep this from me. But there was a chance that my mom had cancer. And I heard him whispering to my grandmother one night, and it was pretty serious. She had to have a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. My dad, to this day, of course, my dad's in heaven now. He didn't know I heard that conversation. And I wrote, I used to ride my bicycle. It was, the school was a mile away. And uh, I used to ride my bicycle to school. Sometimes with my buddies, sometimes by myself. That particular week, I was riding by myself. And uh, I'll never forget it, John. I... Uh, I cried every day to school. Again, my dad did not know I heard that conversation, nobody. And uh, I'll never forget it. I, I cried out to God. I said, God, again, I was, what, fourth grade? Mm-hmm. I said, God, if you heal my mom, I'll live for you. Mm-hmm. Fourth grader. My mom was tough, but I loved her. You know, none of my family even knows this story. None of my sister doesn't know this story. This is really the first time publicly I've ever shared this. So when you ask that question, I went deep in the inner resources. Yeah, my wife doesn't even know this story. Not that I was keeping it from her, but it was the event that when you said that that was the event, I felt the presence of God. I didn't know how to get saved. Again, whatever grade you are, age you are in the fourth grade. And then when I gave my heart to the Lord at 17, God kind of like reminded me, remember what you said? Mm. Not that God was, I don't feel he's holding me to it because I believe the ministry is a calling. I I really do. But that's, there was, that was one of the pivotal 
points in my life. Mom came through it with flying colors. And uh, I think at 17, I think God called the marker in. <laughs> I think God said, okay, boy. Definitely grateful that he did. Yeah, yeah me too. Me too. I, I think the Lord said, all right, you made a promise to me, you know, as a kid. Uh, but the presence of the Lord. And then there was times, John, even as we would go, I, I was searching for God as a kid. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I wanted to love God. But what happened was, like I said, every time something went wrong and I got hurt and I got hurt a lot, yeah. physically hurt, someone would always use that, that old guilt, see? Mm-hmm. And, and John, at a very early age, I thought, I want nothing to do with God mm-hmm. because I saw him as nothing but a cranky, mean old ogre that just couldn't wait to, you know, beat you up. And, but then when I heard Jesus loved me, that's when my heart melted. And that's, you know. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, that intimate story. Yeah, first I time mean, in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible that you look back and you feel Jesus yeah. there. Oh, I, I could, I could even show you, I was riding over somebody's, I was cutting a corner on a, on a street called Inglehart. There in St. Clair Shores, I was cutting a corner over, you know, you rode across people's property, mm-hmm. cut, cut a corner. I was Inglehart and, and Helen Street, and I was cutting that corner. I could still see it, riding my bike and crying out to God, Lord, if, uh, if you heal my mom, I'll live for you. Yeah. She never knew that story. Again, like I said, nobody. That's the first time I've ever, ever shared it. Well, thank you for sharing You're that. welcome. You're welcome. My follow-up to that question is knowing what you know now. Your 50 years of walking with the Lord. If you could go back in time at any point in your, in your timeline and sit down with yourself and have one of those heart to heart conversations, yeah. what would you say to the younger version of yourself and what's going on in that situation where there's a need for that information to be given? Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, John, those ages from first grade to about eighth grade, it was the rejection then was because of my overweightness. You know, uh, again, I was, they used to call me Benny the Ball. This was a, a top cat. It was a cartoon years ago. Benny was the fat character, the little fat character. And, and that probably typified me. I was a happy-go-lucky guy. But, you know, I got made fun of a lot because of my, yeah, I was short and fat. Mm-hmm. Short, fat, slow. As far as running rise, so, and add to that, I was, uh, the deck wasn't working. I had more head injuries as a kid. I had a lot of concussions. So now you got short, fat, slow, and stupid. <laughs> but I think if I had a chance to go back and talk to myself, I, I think I would have said to myself, Petey, everything's going to be okay. Trust the Lord. Uh, at that time, John, uh, going in the eighth grade, I got tired of being made fun of. I got tired of fatty, fatty, two by four can't get through the kitchen door. And I literally declared war on food. Now, in the also singing home, war on food, that was hard. And That's an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. I lost in those days probably a solid, with ease, 40 pounds. Matter of fact, I went, in those days, 170-some pounds down to 118 so that's a whole lot of weight. That's yeah, yeah. It's a good sixty pounds. Lost about half of you. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't do it wisely. I just I was afraid to put food in my mouth, mm. fearful that I get keep getting bigger. Again, you're just a kid. Yeah. You know, 
when most kids are weighing like 70 pounds, you know, I come in at 130 pounds, almost double most kids of my age, you know, in those days. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think if I had a chance to go back, I think that's, you know, Petey, you know, but again, you know, we're looking back now. Mm-hmm. You know, the story's told. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, the, the exciting thing is I'm just today, I'm just as dependent on the Lord because, again, July of last year, this is 21, July of 2020, I retired from the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I was ha- I was pastoring in the inner city of mm-hmm. McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Great church. I was there 16 years. I thought I'd never pastor again. And October, I get a phone call that the pastor that was pastoring South Hills Assembly had resigned, and one of the board members with board permission asked if I would come and be their interim pastor. I said, I said I didn't have to pray about that. Yeah, I'll come. And then December, they asked me if they'd lock me in for a solid year. So I am their lead pastor for all of 21, you know, 2021. And we'll see what what's going to take place, you know, <laughs> December of 2021. Yeah. But here I am. Just, I, I wanted to put aside, I wanted to bring all my learning knowledge. But John, everything else, I'm totally dependent on the mm-hmm. Lord. Would it, you know, so it's still a trusting life. And you know what? He's trustworthy. Absolutely, he is. And you know, as you were talking and you're sharing your story here, I want to ask you to pray for people mm. that are dealing with the issue of unforgiveness. Yeah. And I think one of the big reasons why we deal with unforgiveness, especially towards other people, is because of that lack of trust in God. And I think that that just kind of ties into what you were talking about, that dependence on God. Yeah. When we put our dependence on ourselves, we hold on to those grudges a lot more harshly, I guess. Would you just take a moment right now okay. and speak to somebody that really connects with they're struggling with unforgiveness or something of that nature where that's the thing where if they don't let go of that, just like that doctor said, that's going to kill them. Yeah, it will physically. Yeah. Could you speak to somebody and pray for them as well? Father, I can't help but feel that there's even an individual listening right now saying, no matter what, I'm not going to forgive. No matter what, I'm not going to let it go. Father, I pray for this individual that they will realize that you want to bring them to healing. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you and say, God, help me to let them go. Help me to let this go. Help me to let the pain, the hurt, the blunt end of it all, to let it go. Father, I know they'll find you faithful because I know I found you faithful. And Father, for that one, even many, Lord, that are struggling with this, I just can't. Father, I pray that they would cry up, cry out to you for the help to let this go. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Pete, I appreciate oh, John, your time. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach oh, out yeah. to you? Try to think of a number now. South Hills Assembly of God Church, because again, it's you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's found in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. South Hills Assembly of God Church, twenty seven twenty five Bethel Church Road, and I'm pretty sure the phone number is four one two eight three five eighty nine hundred. Yeah. And if you want to get a hold of Pastor Pete, I'll put that contact information yeah. in the show notes Thanks. so you can connect with him there. But I want to thank you so much, oh, Pastor you. Pete, Pastor Pete, for. Uh, just allowing, yeah, just allowing me to spend some time with you and to join you along your way. Yeah. Well, John, thank you. And, and John, 
We're just believing God's moving amongst those who, who heard this testimony. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pastor Pete Giacalone. I really want to encourage you to take time and forgive those who have wronged you today. Ask Jesus to show you who you need to forgive, even if it is yourself. When you release that forgiveness, you will experience a renewed grace on your life. I would love to hear how this helps you in your Along the Way journey. Let me know. My email address is johnalongtheway at gmail.com. I'll be providing Pastor Pete's info in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and through my website, alongtheway.media. If you want to support me in this podcast, I have a Patreon page. The link to become a supporter is also in my show notes. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey, and may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories for the Charisma News Podcast. Go to cpnshows.com to see the full list and latest episodes.